This week, our nation celebrates Thanksgiving once again. It's a moment for us to pause as a people and to give thanks for so many blessings. And of course, we should never forget one fundamental blessing, and that is our freedom of religion in this land. Because that freedom is not shared in a lot of places in our world. And our founding fathers and mothers came to this land seeking freedom of religion among the many freedoms they sought, but it was freedom of religion that really drove them away from Europe and to come here. Because there were tyrannical monarchs, there were abuses, they weren't free to worship as they wished, to worship the one true God. They were persecuted and they came here seeking freedom. And, of course, when we come to a feast like Christ the King, that imagery or association with a king, with a monarch, for Americans, is a little foreign. It may remind us of our roots as Europeans, perhaps, or other countries where we were fleeing from the abuses of tyranny, real abuse of men and women who would seek to persecute people on behalf of religion. This is true in so many parts of the world today. So we came here seeking self-rule, rule of law, our law, our agreed upon rules that say this is how we're going to conduct our lives in freedom. And all of that is absolutely beautiful, or I should say relatively beautiful. Because the absolute beauty, the absolute beautiful, is always going to be God's law. Now, this is the danger with self-rule. It's a wonderful gift. But if left unchecked, self-rule, the rule of man's law, when it is not submitted under God's law, divine law, eternal law, runs the risk of Slavery. Slavery to sin. This is why in the opening prayer today, the church says, deliver us from slavery, the slavery of sin. Because left to our own devices, if we leave this self-rule unchecked under God's law, then it will breed a lot of problems. Our frustration, our anger, our unhappiness. Now, this is nothing new. This goes right back to the very beginning of our identity with God in the creation of Adam and Eve. And he said, look, I give you dominion and power over everything except one thing. Now, this is amazing. A king, God himself, is going to share this dominion, this power, this authority with man and woman, with Adam and Eve. You can name all the birds of the air, the fish of the sea. You can subdue them. You can eat them. You can have control over them. It's amazing. That's power. God did not reserve that for himself. He shared that. It's a very interesting story in Genesis. This generous God shares his kingship from the very beginning. Keep that in mind. Because other kings don't do that normally. (laughs) 
And they succumb, though, to Satan. And you know the story so well. Because he says, look, you don't need a God to tell you what to do. You're not going to need a God to tell you what's right or wrong. You don't need his rules. Self-rule. You can make up your own rules. Live by your own rules. Now, that all sounds wonderful in some way. But again, it got confusing, as self-rule can, if left unchecked, as we said before. So they succumb, and they eat of what they're told not to eat, not to touch, and the whole thing is messed up. Whatever Adam and Eve did is amazing. They messed it up, big time, because they thought they could be gods. They thought they could have it all, do it all, be it all. We've said that so many times from this pulpit. So it's a sad story because now they live in fear and shame and guilt. That had not been the case before. Every effect has a cause. So what causes in the human psyche this fear of God? I'm not talking about a healthy sense of fear. I'm talking about that, ooh, he's going to get me fear. Like a child who's so afraid of his parents. Or a citizen so afraid of the IRS. Living in fear. I hope they don't get me. Maybe I hope I can get away with it. And no one will know. But that's fear. That's anxiety. And this is universal. Whatever Adam and Eve did, this is like a nuclear blast that just by analogy just really riddled the human psyche. And God didn't want that. He didn't want people living in fear. We were created to know, love, and serve him. Not to know and love and serve ourselves. But that self-rule thing can be very tricky, right? If left unchecked. So, we need a king. We need a sovereign. You ask yourself, who has really got rule over me? Who, who really rules me? Do I rule myself? I didn't will to come into this world. I didn't rule that. I can't govern that. I can't even govern when I'm going to die. All that's a gift. All that is a gift from someone else. Falling in love with someone? Was that your doing, really? Did you rule that? Did you govern that? Did you manipulate that? Or did that happen as a gift? Your friendships, your family. You think about all the things for which you're going to count your blessings on Thanksgiving Day as an individual, as a family, as a nation, as a church, and you're going to conclude that these blessings, for the most part, are a gift not the result of self-rule. Oh, I'm not, again, saying self-rule is not important, but putting it in perspective with regard to the kingship, the sovereignty of God. So if I really believe in God, and that's why I'm here, to worship and to adore, then I'm going to submit to his will. Not out of fear, as Adam and Eve, 
but out of love, out of gratitude, and out of need. I need someone to show me how to do this. When I was growing up, I used to ask my dad for help in algebra. I'd say, Dad, I've got this problem here. I'm working out in algebra. Can you help me? And he'd look at it, and he was brilliant at math, and he just said, here's the answer. I said, "Uh, that wasn't what I was looking for. I wanted you to show me how to solve the problem, because I have to show my work to the teacher. He said, oh, it's simple. Just do that. I wanted help. I didn't want someone to just do it for me. I wanted someone to show me how to do it. I wanted someone to rule me that way. Now, Christ doesn't just do things for us. He shows us how we can do it with him. It's a big difference because a lot of us have this very infantile relation with God that says, do this, Lord, do this, do this for me. Do it, do it, do it. I want it. Okay, maybe he'll do that. Sometimes a good father does that. But on other occasions, and more often, I think, he doesn't just do it. He shows us how to do it. So we can do the work with him. And he can do the work through us together. Okay, so keep this in mind now as we talk about kingship. Because as we think about the kingdom of God and what that means and how we all want to belong in some kingdom, some sovereignty, some state, some place, community of brothers and sisters together, family, we need a king. Every kingdom has a king. But in this kingdom, we're not going to find the trappings of a monarch by the world standards. We're going to find a king who shows us something terribly different than any king has ever shown us in the history of mankind. And that is how to live and how to die in trust of God, in trust. Submitting our wills to God the Father. Now this is what Jesus was always doing. It was Mary and Joseph were always doing. What the saints have always done. It's not easy. But when we begin to do that over time and say, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. See, the very words of Jesus when he teaches his disciples, the Our Father. Thy kingdom come, not mine. Thy will be done, not mine. We are now beginning to open the door to the truth and the beauty and the goodness of God and of our own dignity. So that we're not just ruling ourselves to do what we want but we're now learning to rule our lives because of what he wants us to do. So he shows us. And on this cross, as we're told in Luke's gospel, a foretaste and promise of Good Friday, we have a king. Now the world will look at that and always say what? Ridiculous. Stupid. Very tragic. This is a downer. This was just another prophet good guy that was trying to go around doing good, proclaiming some truths, and gets assassinated. We've seen that story countless times before. The world will dismiss Jesus as just another prophet who got across the breakers with politics and got killed. 
But that's not we, what we believe. And that's not what's been revealed. No, what's been revealed and what we believe is that this is truly a king whose power, whose power is manifest in his weakness. What? No, no, no. A king has to be great. A king has to be conquering all of that. He has to be above all that. He's got to show him who's boss. Get him. Kill him. Get the enemy. Make them succumb to me. This is why they say, if you are the king, come off the cross and show yourself. It wasn't at that moment jeering him, although that's happening. It's really, you're a king, really? Get it together. Show your power. He didn't do that. He just died. Now see, that's power. What? When we don't give in to the voices of the world around us that say, no, your power is this. Your power is your self-rule. The way you want it. It's your position. It's your power. It's your prestige. It's your money. It's your title. It's your place in society. It's how you got to be so powerful. Now, again, take this in the right sense. Some of that's good. But again, left unchecked. All that power we have, friends, is a gift. Everything's a gift. So Jesus doesn't give himself over to the standards and expectations of the world that would love for him to come off that cross and prove himself as this Hollywood apocalyptic figure. No. He bows his head and says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. On earth as it is in heaven. Because in heaven he proclaims this, since my kingdom is not of this world. What? Yeah. My kingdom is not of this world, he says. So thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the kingdom of God in its perfection is heaven, not the world. Not the kingdoms of the world. And as a king for his cross, two pieces of wood. And for his crown, thorns implanted in his skull. And for his robes of majesty, a bloody, soiled loincloth, barely able to cover his parts, exposed, rejected. They sneered at him, they jeered at him. Everyone did. The rulers sneered at him, the soldiers jeered at him, even the criminals around him. Everyone jeered at him. There was no one. And this is your power. This is your glory. This is your kingdom. What a joke, says the world. But Luke makes it clear in the gospel there's one person who got something here. 
He has done nothing wrong. He is innocent. We are guilty. We're the ones who are weak. We're the ones that are in need of a, salva- a savior. We're in the ones who need a king. The long-awaited king of the Jews. Oh yes, this is the one. This criminal, the other good thief, remember? Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the king of the Jews, the long-awaited king who is about now to grant the gift of universal forgiveness of sins by his perfect act of cultic sacrifice 2,000 years ago and about to represent that on this altar of sacrifice 2,019 years later, says to you and to me, today you can be with me. You are with me in paradise. You are with me even now in the paradise of my kingdom. Within your minds, within your hearts, within the church, my kingdom is here among you. Trust me, submit your will to me, and I will submit myself to you in the most beautiful form that the world will always mock and always misunderstand. Meager forms of bread and wine that are now not my dead body, my dead blood, but risen. The only king I've ever known in the history of mankind who is no longer dead, but alive whose kingdom has not come to an end, but is eternal and everlasting.